about every, about twice a year on Communion Sunday, we kind of take a break from the, the series that we've been kind of working through, and we really focus on the table and the meaning of the table. In our tradition, one of the things we're supposed to do is instruct God's people about the meaning of the table and how to partake. And so, brothers and sisters, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26. Um, This is the passage that we read normally to set apart the elements in order to have the Lord's Supper. And this is the very Word of God. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion is about remembering. And so today we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at what we forget and how we can remember. What we forget and how we can remember. Um, If you are a Christian, let me ask you this question. Are you a practicing Christian? Now, many of you totally get what I just asked because that's a very antiquated word, a practicing Christian. It's not a word that we really hear a lot in our our culture anymore. Um, It's a word that's not just about Christians. Doctors have a practice, right? They are practicing doctors. Now, for some reason, I'm, I'm, I'm a whole lot more concerned with a practicing surgeon than a practicing Christian. But practice doesn't mean they, they hadn't gotten up to speed to be able to get in the game yet, does it? Practicing simply means that we observe what is and ought to be and we dedicate our lives to it. We're functioning Christians or a functioning surgeon if, you're, if you have a practice and you're a surgeon. Practicing is a word that's not uh, simply reserved for Christians. There are practicing Muslims. There are practicing Hindus. There are practicing atheists. Now, it's not a bad word. Uh, It just has to do with somebody who's serious about whatever it is they're serious about and and actually observing what it is and trying to live congruent uh, with whatever that is. But that word, practicing does not capture the uniqueness of Christianity. You see, Christianity isn't first and foremost about what you observe and what you do. Christianity is first and foremost about Jesus and what He has done on our behalf. And therefore, what we do in response to what Jesus has done So we are practicing, but we are practicing out of something that God has done first. Christianity is firmly grounded in an actual event that happened. It's called the cross. You know, the gospel 
or the good news. The good news is simply an announcement, isn't it? It's, it literally is the good news. Like, I have something good to tell you. It is the good news about something that actually happened. And what we do is tell people about what happened. We testify to the good news. The good news, uh, this, this, this good news is, is all the practicing in the world can't connect you with a holy God. So God has come and connected himself to us. Salvation is not by our effort. Finally, whether you are practicing this or practicing that, that is not where our hope is going to be. That is going to fail. The good news is, is all the practicing in the world won't connect you with God, but Jesus has done it, and Christ came and literally lived in our place as one of us, i.e. to save us. This isn't abstract, you know. This isn't ethereal. This isn't just a, a bunch of sayings and wisdom to consider as much as wisdom is important. This is an actual person, the Son of God, who came to us, was born, lived a perfect life in our place, died on the cross, and took the punishment, the just punishment, that we deserve because we are sinners before a holy God. All the practicing in the world will not accomplish what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. We're selfish. We're sinners. And then, of course, the related event to the cross that the good news is about, and that's the resurrection where Christ defeated sin on the cross, took our punishment, right, so we wouldn't have to. He defeated death in the empty tomb and, and rose again from the dead, and Christ is risen, and Christ reigns. Christ has the ability to give freely to all who come to Him, those who are totally un unable to come to Him. And He gives us life, and He gives us Forgiveness. And when you understand the cross, you can not only realize your selfishness and your sin before a holy God, you can embrace it without fear. You can actually admit who you really are and quit trying to save yourself. You can actually call what it is what it is. And you can quit trying to save yourself and you can come to Him and put your trust in what God has done on our behalf that has not failed, will never fail because God Himself, who doesn't fail, accomplished it and it is finished and it is complete and it is everything we need, everything we need to come into the arms of a holy and loving God. And you know what's interesting about God in the cross? Rather than God going, okay, they're sinners. They can't transform themselves to be like me. So what I'll do is I'll kind of bend what's acceptable to me. I'll, I'll embrace and accept and bring sin right, right up to, to be a part of me. I'll be related to sin. No, no, no. God, a holy God is no longer holy if he does that. No, what God does is actually punish sin, visiting it on Jesus on the cross in our place. So he remains holy. And the sin is dealt with by another person other than us. Isn't that great news? That's the good news. That is the gospel. And um, when you put your trust in Jesus, you are forgiven. You're forgiven. Totally forgiven. I mean, for your whole life forgiven. Because Jesus died for 100% of our sins. And when you come to Jesus because of the resurrection, that second part, you are made new. It's not just kind of a rehabilitation. 
is a brand new life. You are born literally from above by the work of God on our behalf. It, the old has gone. Behold, all things are new. And it is life in Him. And now, if you've put your trust in Him, there is a life for you to live that is different. Because it is a life with acceptance before God. It is a life in relationship as a son of God, in the arms of God, being directed by God. It'll be a life of love more than hate. It'll be a life of giving more than taking. And we're constantly having to go to our Father who has paid for our, our selfishness and say, Lord, I, I've been selfish again. But I, I want to confess this. I want to turn from it. And I want the free grace and the forgiveness that's come to me to flow to other people. That is an incredible dynamic that God gives us that only comes through His work on our behalf and the life that we gain. It's going to be a life of joy with God because literally you have everything you need for all eternity. And everything else as we go forward is just gravy. It's just gravy on top. And we will do a lot of things in our lives for the glory of God that will resemble the love of Jesus, that will resemble the, the justice of God, etc. And we're going to be repenting all along the way as well because we're us, but we're forgiven. This life that we live, here's the point. We live it. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This life is always in relation to the cross. And that is why this table is set before us. The cross forever will define our lives. Not our best efforts. Not our C-. minus, Not anything like that. We are people of the cross who live in grace because God gave grace to people who are undeserving. And we just heard about it. It was good news and we believed it and we trusted in God and we are the people of the cross who want to live out this same grace that we've been given in the world. And we never outgrow our need for defining our lives by the cross because Jesus ever remains our only mediator between us and God, right? This is the relationship. This is life. Life is in Jesus. Whoever has the Son has life. I remember when I first came to the Lord in college and I'd heard the gospel really for the first time in my life or had ears to hear it. I'm not sure which one it was, but um, i tell you one thing I was certain of when I came to Christ, and I couldn't get over the fact that I was forgiven. I couldn't get over the fact that uh, I got a new life and a new purpose. But one of the things I was sure about is that my new life was all about grace. You know why I was sure? Because it was so close. It was still in juxtaposition of a life not about grace. And I had not forgotten what it's like to strive and strive to make my own life, to be mad at people all the time when it's not going the way I want to, to express disappointment at God and anybody else when my will is not done. You know what I'm saying? This, word, this is all about me, not an ounce of grace. And I even tell God what is acceptable to Him. 
I remember very clearly. And let me tell you, there was a lot of stuff that I determined was acceptable to God. And I was still going to be a little Southern Christian. The juxtaposition of complete forgiveness and a brand new life and, and just the joy of all that Christ had done was there. You asked me at that time, what is your life about? I answer, the cross, grace, the gospel, no question. And let me tell you, I wanted to know Him. I wanted to love Him. I wanted to read and I wanted to know Him better. I wanted to pour my heart out to Him in prayer, not only for me but for other people. I wanted to learn how to share the good news with other people so other people could have what I have. That's just rooted firmly in a consciousness of grace. It was, a, it was definitely immediately a practicing Christianity. But it's rooted in grace. But I'll tell you something. The further I live beyond that stark experience of grace, the harder it is for me to remember it in my soul as vividly as I should. I don't mean remember my sins. I, rem I mean remem remember the contrast of free grace and the overwhelming beauty of something just given to me that is complete and forever. The further I get away, the easier it is for me to forget. And I think that you and I both functionally forget the basis of our faith on a regular basis, which is the cross. I'll give you three for instances. For instance, if, if we really had the grace of the cross uppermost in our mind, do you think we would ever ask God this question, either literally or by our attitude? God, what is, what is as little as I can do for you and still be okay? That's exactly functionally what we are tempted to do in our lives. I think that's totally incongruent with the once and for all sacrifice, the ultimacy, and the, the flow of forgiveness, and the gift, and, and forever, and eternity. And, and we're going to turn around and say, hey, what, what is the smallest amount I can respond to? What, how little can I really be a Christian and still be a Christian? That's not the right question. If that's the question we're asking with our lives, or literally with words to God, I'm telling you, we're not. We have lost the remembrance of the power of the cross, right? Second instance, if we really had the cross, the grace of the cross uppermost in our mind, would we really say, you know, I think if I just did more, I would be blessed more. And so I'm back in control, and so I'm going to do, 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 and be blessed, blessed, blessed. Do you really think that's how that works? No, that didn't work when you weren't a Christian. No, 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 no. We know this, right? I know you're going, I already know this. Well, guess what? You forgot. <laughs> Just like I did. <laughs> no, we already know that Christ has given us all things in the cross, and we're just living into all that He has given us. Don't you understand? He hasn't held back. I mean, He who did not spare His own Son, how will He not also along with Him 
freely give us all things. Guess what? We are heirs with Jesus. We have all things. And it's not just a matter of how we get more. By putting it on our schedule. If we wouldn't be putting God on our schedule to get more out of Him, we would be loving Him and walking with Him and just receiving what He has for us. It would be much more organic than calculated. Or lastly, if we really had the grace of the cross uppermost in our minds, would we really say, I imagine that I've never done enough, so I always feel a day late and a dollar short with God. Really, do you? And why would you feel a day late and a dollar short? Where does this dollar come from? Is it your dollar? Do you understand the whole point of the cross is the payment in full of our debt before God. There's not a dollar left to be paid. You know, if if you're walking around thinking that somehow you've put your trust in Jesus, that you can't ever be pleasing to God and God's just got something against you and you're you're always behind time with God, the, the cross says no to that. It is time to quit living like that get a little bit more secure in the completed work of God so that we can rest in what He's done and actually maybe see a little bit of the love of God well up in our lives to be able to to, to not only love God instead of constantly worry about Him and love other people. I'll tell you what we don't forget. We don't forget how to live our lives in a way determined by us. I mean, that's just, that's just humanity, right? We never forget that. We, we know we have to live our lives every day. But, you know, sometimes I think we, we just kind of lapse out of this as the true ground. And I think we just kind of feel as long as it's more or less loosely based on Christian stuff, we can determine what that looks like. And it, therefore, must be okay. It's not okay. It is not okay with God for us to determine what the Christian life looks like rather than Him. It is not okay with us because that is what leads to all these expectations that are failed and dashed because we never have been able to grant ourselves peace of conscience as long as we have a life of striving, striving, striving. Never. That, those three things, that is a, a, a really interesting diagnosis. of, and, and in your life, I've been through all three of those. And we kind of cycle in and out of those. We forget it's, the cross is the ground of our new lives. We forget the grace given that we do not deserve. It's just beautiful. We, we forget that we are loved and welcomed by God. Welcomed. But only in the cross. Because sinners cannot be held close or related as a son to God who is holy without the cross. That's what the relationship is all about. Only in the gospel. And in the gospel we live out this grace in which we now stand. And we will never not stand unless we just started acting like we didn't stand there, even though 
He has not let go of us. This is how we're changed, by living in light of the cross, in an intimacy with God who has come to us, God who has embraced us through what He has done rather than what we do, God who gives us rest because it is in His work rather than our own. This is what changes us. This is what changes the world. Harry Reader, in an article in Table Talk magazine called The Gospel-Driven Life, uh, he's a pastor friend of mine, put it this way, the gospel brings the reign of Christ's kingdom to our hearts and throughout the world. The gospel blessings give joy to the Christian life and the ability to rejoice even in suffering. The gospel provides the foundation, the formation, and the motivation as it ignites our loving obedience to Christ and as we discover deeper the transforming truth that He first loved us. That's what this table is about. That is what we tend to forget. We need to remember, don't we? So, second thing is simply, how do we remember? What do we forget? The cross is the center of our lives. How do we remember? Good news about our Savior. He knows us. He remembers our frame. He knows our frame. He remembers we are but dust. He has great compassion upon us. He knows we forget. He knows that we are still human beings. We will still struggle and that we forget. So He gave us something to be repeated over and over so that we can remember. Isn't that great? That that Jesus didn't just say something profound worth remembering. No, he, He did something worth remembering and then He gave us something to repeat over and over because He knows us. And he loves us. It's called the Lord's Supper. And we're, and we're supposed to do it often, and, and meaning uh, often enough so just the, the, the time that between uh, is not enough to begin to, to wash out the, the sharp memory of grace and what our lives really are about. Paul's teaching us to remember by reenacting what Jesus did in the upper room. What I received from the Lord... I now pass on to you, you see. What what Jesus gave us, what I understand that Jesus did and said, it is for you. I'm passing along to you. This is what it means to be a Christian, to know Him and to do this. I'll read the text again. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which He was betrayed took bread, and when he had blessed it, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You get it? This is so you can remember. In the same way, just like the bread, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, which, by the way, was the fourth cup of the Passover, was located there, the cup of redemption. This was a Passover meal that he turned into the meal about him who fulfills the great exodus, not from Egypt, but from sin and death, and not the blood of a lamb over a doorpost, but the blood of the perfect and spotless lamb himself. This is my body. This is my blood. 
In the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So in the context of this verse, we remember by gathering together as God's people in worship. Okay? This is given to the Corinthians. This is given to the church. And I want you to know, you can read the verses immediately before and after this text on communion. The Corinthians were messing up with communion. They were literally treating communion like we treat God when we forget the cross. The bread and the wine was only to fill their bellies. It was only to give them what they wanted rather than what God wanted to give them. Can you imagine somebody, when the communion thing is passed, just eats the whole tray and nobody has anything else? And let me tell you, if you think that wine was new wine and it wasn't alcoholic back in those days, you've got big problems with 1 Corinthians 11. Because it says, this whole chapter, because it said, what is it that you eat all of it and you get drunk in the communion? Grape juice doesn't get you drunk, by the way. Can you imagine someone taking the common cup and just drinking it? All. Paul says, this is an outrage. This isn't about you. Well, that's the point of the cross, isn't it? In in the context of this verse, we remember that gathering in worship together under the leadership passed down from the apostles in the sense of the truth of the apostles that we will maintain what this is about. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you love that? We're here. Secondly, you, you remember by taking physical bread in your hand and you remember that salvation is not an abstraction, that it's real and it's in your place. This is my body, which is for you. You eat this bread like your life depends on it because I'm going to tell you something, your life does depend on it. That's the only thing that can give. Today, you eat that bread, you hold that bread, and you say, you know what? This isn't just some spiritual truth. Christ came in a body. Christ died. This is my body given for you. You eat the bread today like your life depends on it because your life does depend on the reality of what this symbolizes. Romans 5, 8, God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thirdly, you remember by taking the cup in your hand, as we just kind of move through this passage. And you know what? It's a little different from the bread. This is my body, He says. Do this, given to you, forgive you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the the. the the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Whoa, there's a little Old Testament in that, don't you think? See, when you hold the cup, what you need to remember when you hold the cup is that this is very much the fulfillment of the covenant that God gave us in the Old Testament. You need to remember that without the shedding of blood... There is no forgiveness of sins. You need to remember why all those lambs, bulls, goats, etc. were slain in the Old Testament to cover over their sin in place of God's people. And you need to remember that Christ is the, the, the holy, unblemished Lamb of God sent for you the once and for all 
sacrifice sent for you. You drink it remembering all those sacrifices and how Christ has done this. He has shed His blood. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Have you ever noticed Paul does that a lot? I just received it. I'm delivering it to you. This is the Word of God. This is the truth about Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, he says, um, I received that Christ died for our sin in accordance with the Scriptures. That the new covenant is in fulfillment of the Old Testament. It is done. It is the blood. It symbolizes the blood that we have to have in our place. Ephesians 2.12, remember, speaking to Gentiles, that at that time you were separated from Christ, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and you were strangers to the covenants of the promise. Do you see all that Old Testament? Before you were in Jesus, all this that has been in the Old Testament, none of that applied to you. Strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near. Do you know the rest of it? How? Through the blood of Christ. That is how you remember Isn't Christ thoughtful, merciful, loving to give us this supper so that we can hold, taste, and see that the Lord is good? It leads to a celebration of thanks. That's why it's called Eucharizo. He broke the bread. He gave thanks. That's why some traditions call it the Eucharist or the Thanksgiving. It leads us to seeking Christ who is actually hosting the supper. This is my body. Come and take the symbol of my body. This is my blood. I set the table. This is about come and be with me. That's why some traditions call it communion. The bread that we break, is it not the communion, the participation of the body of Christ? The blood, I mean, the wine that we drink, is it not the communion, you see? But we all say that it is about remembering because we forget. But you know, the other point that, just finally, that is made is that we need to remember with regularity. We need to remember often. You know, I, I love sports and I, I watch the shows, you know, it's, it's kind of a new era where you know all about recruiting and then you know, know all about, you get taken into camp and you hear about these coaches, what, whatever sport, how they're preparing their athletes for the season. And you hear their lingo. And uh, one of the, the big lingos that I hear, at least, is it talks about how many reps, you ever heard that? How many reps a player has to learn what they're doing to be able to perform in the game. In fact, there's like laws on how many reps you can have. Uh, you can't over-practice, I guess you'd say. Um, we learned that re- athletics requires reps. I, I played sports in high school. How many reps did that quarterback get? How many times did he throw to a receiver? How many free throws did the point guard practice? Did he, did he do 100 free, free throws? After practice, how many drives on the driving range did the golfer take today? How many serves did the tennis player 
how many reps? What does rep stand for? Stands for repetitions. To do over and over and over. You need reps because without reps, you forget things. Without practice, there's not the muscle memory to do your job. Are you saying to me, Joseph, that muscles even forget? That's exactly. Muscles do forget just how tuned in how to do a jump shot. And that's why reps train us in how to do that. Well, I want to tell you something. Minds, hearts, and souls forget the grace of God faster than muscles forget a jump shot. You can just write that down. Um, Jesus says that when it comes to grace, we need reps. We need reps. Our spiritual muscle memory fades really fast without the communion. The great reformer Martin Luther was asked why he continued to preach the gospel. Every week he always got to the gospel, not only for people that needed Jesus, but people who had Jesus. And he answered, I preach the gospel to my people every week simply because they forget the gospel every week. It's true. Our Savior knows we forget. So in the upper room, He gave us reps. Not just once a year like the Passover. No, verse 26. For as often as you eat of this bread, drink of, of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. It doesn't say how often. That's up to debate. But we know this. That it's something we are to do over and over. So we're going to take some reps this morning. We're going to remember the cross in the most profound way that we can remember the cross. By holding, smelling, tasting, touching, eating. And not only remembering, but we're going to commune because Jesus himself is the host. This is my body. Come be with me. And, Paul says, as often as you eat this bread or drink it, you proclaim the Lord's death. And so we are going to proclaim the reality of this to one another just by eating it together. And Leanne is going to look at her husband, Bryant, and say, you know, Bryant believes in the grace of God. He's proclaiming to me the grace of God. And then finally, we're not only going to proclaim his death, but it says we will proclaim his death until he comes. In the supper we cry, thank you for the cross. Thank you for accepting me. In the supper we cry, Maranatha. Just means, come, O Lord. So let me just finish by saying this. In this moment of remembering, our faith is lifted to look ahead to the moment he returns when we'll never have to remember again. But this morning, are you ready? Let's take some reps and remember. Let's pray. Lord, would you work in our hearts? We know about the cross, but would you bring it home to a kind of reality and an oh yeah moment for us? Would you bring it home to be what defines our lives would you cause us to turn away from other definitions and simply 
place our definition yet again as child of God, forgiven, loved, empowered. Lord, would you work in our hearts this morning as we seek you as our host? And would you lift our eyes to the fact that you've got not only our lives, but all history in your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.